Hey, Crime Salad listeners, and welcome back to another episode of Crime Salad, where we give you true crime stories every week. I'm your host, Ashley. And I'm Ricky. And today's episode is about a man named Kenneth Parks, and it's a bit of an unusual case. It was actually brought to us by a lovely listener named Heather, and we couldn't wait to dive in. So the big question revolving around this case is, can you commit murder in your sleep? It seems crazy and, well, very unlikely. However, in this episode, we will cover one of the most controversial cases of sleepwalking homicide. A Canadian murder which happened in May of 1987. It was executed by a man who claims he was sleepwalking. He drives for miles and attacks his own mother and father-in-law. So when we first heard this case, we could not believe his defense was actually taken seriously. Because, I mean, come on, sleepwalking? Really? And just as a side note, I have never seen someone actually sleepwalking, so I don't really know like how that works or like what kind of things they could get into or like can they harm someone, but I've been told that I have sleptwalk as a child before. I actually believe that because you do this weird thing sometimes when you're sleeping where you'll just sit straight up and kind of stare at the ceiling like, oh my god, there's a spider. I don't know. It's kind of weird. <laughs> I definitely think you're making that up. That's not true. I'm, I'm not making it up. It'll be pitch black in the room. So it's you can't see if there's a spider like it's pitch black, but you're just like it must be like you're coming out of your dream and like into consciousness. I, <laughs> I don't know. It's weird. Anyways, what this guy actually does is completely unbelievable. And we'll get more into it as the story continues. But first, let's jump into Kenneth's past. Kenneth, he was four years old when his father left him and his siblings. Kenneth grew up with two brothers and a half-sister who were all raised by their mother and stepfather. And for some reason, Kenneth never seemed to connect well with his stepfather. His biological father was completely out of the picture, so it could have been related to that situation alone. Being that his real father wasn't involved, that he wanted nothing to do with his stepfather, but something wasn't connecting with those two. So what's interesting here is Kenneth had a history of occasional sleepwalking, and it actually ran in his family as well. His grandfather was known to sleepwalk in his past too, and his mother claims of a time that he was sleepwalking, and he nearly walked out of a six-story window in his teenage years. However, the story is told that his mother brought him to safety before it was too late. But after this, it was something that he seemed to just grow out of. And when he was 15, his mother and stepfather were moving to another town along with his siblings. He decided to move in with his grandparents instead of moving with them. That way he could finish high school. Yeah, that makes sense. I wouldn't want to leave close to my senior year either. And he actually stayed at his grandparents' house till he was 20 years old. And it was around this time that he met the woman of his dreams named Karen. They fell in love and got married when he turned 21 and they had a daughter together in December of 1986. They had a cute little family where they were both always hard at work, and they were enjoying their daughter as she was growing up. They lived in a town called Pickering, Ontario, close to Toronto, 
And Kenneth worked for a company called Revere Electric as a project coordinator. And he was often working 10 hours per day. So like I said, they were living a pretty much normal life, but very busy and long hours of working. As far as Kenneth's family, they were very distant and they didn't speak hardly at all. But on Karen's side of the family, her parents were pretty much his as well. He grew very close to his in-laws as if they were his own parents. It's almost like they gave him that family figure that he felt he missed out on growing up, especially without his real dad in the picture. He was very accepted into the family and he was particularly close with his mother-in-law. His mother-in-law even called him a gentle giant because he was just that. He was 6'5 and over 200 pounds. Now, Kenneth was working really long hours and he was a pretty good family man, but he did have one really bad vice and that was gambling, mostly in horse racing. This interest turned into an extreme addiction he was spending thousands of dollars and secretly dipping into his family's savings. And once his savings was gone, he would keep gambling and he would just visit a loan shark. And then to make matters worse, he stole $32,000 from his employer in order to keep gambling. The stress of the addiction and, you know, living this secret double life was really getting to him and it caused extreme anxiety and insomnia. Kenneth had trouble getting to and staying asleep at night, and this issue only got worse when his daughter was born, because as you know, sleep is just really hard to come by when you have a newborn, on top of all the stuff that he was now going through. $32,000 is a huge chunk of money for a company to be missing, and in March of 1987, his employer eventually caught on, and he was fired immediately and charged with theft. I mean, his addiction must have been so extreme to steal money from his job after he already emptied out his family's savings and all of his pocket money. So now he's left with this huge burden on his shoulders, and he quits gambling because honestly he's just out of money at this point. Him and his wife have to sell the house just to cover the large amount of debt that he's now put his family in. And as you can imagine, the stress and insomnia are just getting worse and worse since all of this is happening. And just when you thought that he might have learned his lesson, he gets right back into gambling. As far as his mother and father-in-law, who were pretty much like his parents, their relationship was now beginning to get distant. And after all of this happening, it began to take a toll on his body. On May 15th, he was having chest pains, shortness of breath, and he began vomiting. The doctors ran tests, but everything came back normal. Maybe what he was experiencing was more of a panic attack, which is possible, and maybe it opened his eyes to this was a terrible life and lifestyle to live, especially for his health. So he pushed himself to get help by attending a Gambler's Anonymous meeting, and he planned to break the unspoken news about his addiction to his grandmother and his in-laws on that upcoming Saturday. But his anxiety was building up, and it was just getting worse and worse. He knew what they would think of him, putting his family through all this tremendous amount of debt and stress, and his anxiety for that just kept building up, and he was reluctant to tell them what he's done. So he just changed plans. Saturday came and he went to play a game of rugby with his friends instead, which he hasn't played rugby for a long time. So he left the game feeling extremely exhausted and had a minor head injury. 
And on top of this, he was tired and just emotionally exhausted. And his wife, Karen, was just angry at him that he didn't go tell the family what he did like he was supposed to. And basically, she just handed over their daughter and said, I have to go to work. So other than all the fighting and arguments, it was a pretty ordinary night. He played with the baby and watched TV. And later that night, his wife came home and they watched TV together, trying to relax for the night. And it was around midnight when Karen went to bed and around 1.30 when Kenneth actually fell asleep watching TV. And this is where things begin to get strange. It was in the middle of the night on the 24th of May when Kenneth found himself covered in blood and he turned himself into the police. In complete shock, he kept saying that I just killed someone with my bare hands. Oh my God, I've just killed someone. I've just killed two people. Like he just couldn't believe what he actually did. He said the same sort of thing over and over again and also confessed to the police that he stabbed and beat them to death and that it was all his fault. He had wounds on his hands and the tendons in his fingers were severed, causing severe nerve damage. He wasn't in any pain, but just in complete shock. He reported that he doesn't remember much of what happened and, well, he claims that he was sleeping, only remembering bits and pieces of what actually happened. That night, while he was asleep, Kenneth got up, left his house without locking the door or closing the garage door behind him. He got into his car and drove 14 miles to his mother and father-in-law's home. He lit himself in with a key that he had been given and entered the house, holding a tire iron that he got from their garage. When he arrived, his two in-laws were lying in bed, but they got up when they heard him arrive. He attacked his father-in-law first, and when he was unconscious, he attacked his mother-in-law. His mother-in-law, Barbara, who was 42 years old, was found beaten, covered in blood, and stabbed, adding up to four to six stab wounds, including a fatal wound to the heart. And his father-in-law, Dennis, was found strangled and stabbed. However, he did survive this horrible attack. Kenneth then left the house without cleaning up, got into his car, and headed to the police station. And yes, this was all while Kenneth was sleepwalking. There was even a point in this break-in that Kenneth took the phone off the hook. While he was there, he also went upstairs, walked down the hallway, where the other rooms were located, where his teenage daughters were sleeping. They were scared because they were hearing screams, so they hid in their rooms, not knowing what was going on or who was in the house. But they did hear a man grunting, which is interesting because Kenneth remembers going upstairs, hearing the children, and claims that he was calling out, saying, kids, kids, from the top of the stairs. So kind of points to the fact that maybe he was sleepwalking. I mean, it's kind of hard to say exactly what happened because there really were no witnesses. And he would have had to have gotten a knife from somewhere. So maybe he just got it out of the kitchen. Yeah, I'm assuming that is what happened. Or did Barbara go and get it for her protection, but it was used against her? It's at this point that Kenneth and the police, nobody knows what actually happened. Police also ask him what he remembers. And like we said, he really only remembers bits and pieces. He doesn't remember driving or anything. He really only remembers when he fell asleep at home and first started to wake up when he sees Barbara's dead body covered in blood lying on the floor. It was like a bad dream, but only real. 
He remembers small amounts of him being in the car and having the knife and was awake at the police station realizing what he did. Kenneth was brought to the hospital for his wounds while the police did an investigation. And while he was there, he was arrested and was charged with murder and attempted murder. But he remained at the hospital for three days during treatment for the severe cuts on his hands, which did require surgery. And as soon as these three days were up, he would then be transferred to jail. He went through many sleep studies that tracked his brain activity and showed that he could have been sleepwalking that night. We're going to take a quick break here to tell you about BetterHelp. BetterHelp is an online service that I personally use for my mental health. They provide a number of professional licensed counselors who specialize in all situations that may be interfering with your happiness. It's seriously my personal outlet to get my mind right. It's affordable. It's so convenient. I decided to give BetterHelp a shot when I was going through a very anxious part of my life. So I just signed up and I was matched with an amazing counselor who was so willing to talk with me right away. We actually set up a video chat later in the week to catch up. We are all so busy. Give yourself the care that you need today. Start living a happier life. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash crime salad. Join over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash crime salad. He also had neurological exams, which all came back normal. And as far as his story and the details about what he remembers versus what he doesn't remember remained consistent over multiple interviews. And he wasn't under the influence of drugs or alcohol. And anyone who met him noticed that he was in disbelief and remorse of what happened. So I guess just to kind of play devil's advocate here, they said that all his stories were consistent, but he also says that he wasn't able to remember anything other than when he fell asleep and then when he woke up with bloody hands. So really, if he was trying to hide anything, I, th I think it would be pretty easy because he could just say, oh, you know, I don't remember it like I was asleep at that time. So to me, it seems like, you know, the story would be pretty simple and really not that hard to stay consistent with. No, I definitely agree with you completely. And... One thing that I find weird that keeps playing in my head is that he drove 14 miles. That's just crazy. Like, was he awake at all? Like, maybe just a little bit? Or, you know, like how you take like a sleeping pill or night quill and you feel like a little groggy? Was it more like that? Yeah, and another thing that kind of throws me off is, and maybe this is just some stigma that I have because of movies and stuff, but normally when you see people sleepwalking, they're like stumbling into things and, you know, they're not really with it. I mean, again, maybe they just play that up and I just don't know a lot about sleepwalking. But yeah, driving through traffic and not only that, but not waking up at all. I mean, he had to, what, stop at stop signs, stop at traffic lights, like obey traffic laws. I mean, it's impressive, really. Yeah, but... What about the stumbling part that you just mentioned? What if he was stumbling during this? And that would explain the cuts, the severe cuts on his hands, where he actually severed tendons in his fingers. And what I find bizarre is that he was close with these two. They were basically like his parents. And he was especially close with Barbara. 
So this whole attack is just out of character and no one saw this in him. No one saw it coming. So we found something interesting from the Sleep Foundation and they define sleepwalking as a behavioral disorder that happens when a person is in a deep sleep. And it's not during dreaming when people are basically paralyzed to stop them from acting out in their dreams. Sleepwalkers can do complex tasks while asleep and have no memory of it. The Sleep Foundation also says sleepwalking is more common when sleep deprived, which supports the fact in Kenneth's case. And they also noted that sleepwalking usually happens within three hours of falling asleep, which tracks for the timeline when Kenneth fell asleep at 1.30 a.m. and showed up at the police station before 4.30 a.m. So there are a lot of supporting facts that he could have done these things while he was asleep. It's so strange to me, but yeah, I guess he could have. So the trial started about a year after the murder. And initially, the defense said that Kenneth was sleepwalking when the murder occurred, and therefore he was not to blame for his actions. They believed that he was on autopilot and was actually unaware of what he was doing at the time of the murder. So basically he got up in his sleep, but he didn't actually wake up. And I think that part is important, especially in the trial. This is what's called automatism. And it's when someone cannot be held accountable for their actions because they were not conscious or have any knowledge of what they had just done. However, there's two different types of this, insane and non-insane. With insane automatism, it's caused by a disease of the mind. So basically, there's mental health factors at play here. So this can't result in an acquittal, but it gives access to a not guilty by reason of insanity plea. Non-insane automatism is where there's an external influence such as an injury or drugs, and that means that there can be an acquittal. Sleepwalking was being considered to be an external factor in this case. Sleepwalking is a physical problem which can relate to mental illness, but in this argument, it wasn't being considered that way. And Kenneth's lawyers were actually arguing that sleepwalking was a non-insane automatism, Which, if accepted, that would mean that an acquittal and no jail time would happen. The judge agreed with this, and only a non-insane automatism was presented to the jury. Kenneth had always been a deep sleeper, and reportedly, he always had a hard time waking up from his sleep. And not to mention, there was a family history of sleeping issues, including sleepwalking. Kenneth's grandma actually testified at the trial that her husband would cook full meals while sleepwalking and he wouldn't remember any of it in the morning, which is pretty interesting because sleepwalking tends to be a hereditary trait and it can actually run in the family. And at the time of the murders, Kenneth had been under a lot of stress and he was barely sleeping. In fact, he didn't sleep at all the night before the murders. And he had been up for nearly two days straight before he actually went to sleep that night. And when he went to sleep, it was said that he was in a frantic, exhausted state. The director of the Minnesota Regional Sleep Disorder Center testified at the trial saying that people must be neurologically vulnerable to sleepwalk, and anxiety and a racing mind can actually trigger an episode. And honestly, that pretty much describes Kenneth's situation perfectly. He was tired, he was worried, and he had a history of sleepwalking. And also, before the murder, Kenneth was playing a physical game of rugby. 
and he experienced a slight head injury, and this could have contributed to his actions. So before the trial, he spent some time in jail, and his cellmates actually said that Kenneth would sit up in bed in the middle of the night and just start talking or look around just being completely unresponsive. So it's interesting that he was kind of still having that behavior even in jail. And during the trial, there was testimony from five professionals who concluded that sleepwalking was not a neurological or psychiatric illness. Therefore, it was not an insane automatism. They also testified that Kenneth was, in their opinion, sleepwalking when he attacked his in-laws and would not have been able to plan or understand the consequences of his actions. The doctors also went on to say that the likelihood of Kenneth having another sleepwalking episode that resulted in murder were highly unlikely, which didn't make him a threat, and his father-in-law actually testified that the pair had a good relationship. The Crown's case centered around whether Kenneth was sleepwalking at the time of the murder, and if he was, trying to find evidence that he was still aware of his actions and could be held responsible. So the burden of proof was on the crown, as it always was. The burden of proof is never on the defense. First, they had to try and convince the jury that Kenneth's actions were voluntary, and he knew what he was doing when he was doing it. They also had to argue that if the actions were involuntary, they were triggered by disease of the mind, which would qualify Kenneth for an insanity defense and not an actual acquittal. It was up to the judge to decide which automatism was left with the jury. And the judge decided non-insane, as sleepwalking was not a disease of the mind. The jury had to decide if Kenneth was in fact sleepwalking at the time of the murder. Their options were yes, he was, and that would equal an acquittal, or no, he wasn't, and that would be a guilty or non-insanity defense. May 26, 1988. The jury deliberated for nine hours, and Kenneth was acquitted. And since he was acquitted of Barbara's murder, he was also acquitted of the attempted murder charge against his father-in-law, since he was in the same state of mind for both of these attacks. On the same day, Kenneth appeared in court on fraud charges, and he was found guilty and given a three-month suspended sentence. So in Canada, the Crown can appeal a not guilty or acquittal verdict in a murder case because of an error of law, which we do not have this in the U.S., I don't believe. But in Kenneth's case, there was an appeal around the validity of the sleepwalking defense. They felt that sleepwalking was a disease of the mind, and Kenneth should have been made to use the insanity defense. However, the ruling was upheld, and Kenneth's acquittal remained. After his release, Kenneth had regular therapy sessions to help him cope with life after murdering his mother-in-law. He was also given medication, and that did help with the sleep and wakeful periods. The appeal document stated that he was not making all the right moves to improve or move on with his life. But shortly, Kenneth and Karen got a divorce. Kenneth went on to have five more children, and in 2006, he made the headlines again when he ran for the school board, where five out of his six children attended the school, which is just absolutely crazy. And just an interesting fact about this type of case, there's courts around the world, and at one time or another, about 30 sleepwalkers have been charged with murder. 
Men, women, even a teenager have been tried for murder or attempted murder. No one has complied overall figures, but apparently most have been acquitted. And it seems like in these cases, sleepwalkers only murder once. But for now, this concludes this week's episode. Be sure to check out our website at crimesaladpodcast.com where you can see pictures of Kenneth and interesting videos about this case. And also a really cool TED Talk type video that goes into the why behind the actions. And it's only five minutes long, but basically it explains since Kenneth planned to go to his in-laws the next day, in his sleepwalking, he was doing those actions, but just too early. And there's no explanation for why he became violent. He has no reason to be, no history of violence, and no motive. So it's definitely interesting. Check it out. And we always like to credit our sources, which will have the full list on our website. And as always, you're invited to join us on the Crime Salad Facebook discussion group, where you can post links to cases you think are interesting or share anything crime related and meet other true crime salad investigators just like yourself. And feel free to invite a friend. Be sure to follow us on Himalaya and write us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or wherever you're listening to us now to help other listeners find us. This really helps us move up in the charts so other listeners can get their hands on Crime Salad. And remember to follow us on Instagram and be sure to tell a friend about Crime Salad. Thank you all so much for listening and we'll see you next week. Crime Salad is a true crime podcast delivering a healthy portion of crime. Crime Salad is a weird salad production. Are you kidding me? That was perfect. All the bloodhead, all the pain.